0: Welcome to the Swim Strong Dryland Podcast. We are dedicated to inspiring and educating the swimming world. Our podcast highlights the work, character, and achievements in and around the Swim Strong community. All right, we are excited to bring to you Coach Mark Gole from Northwest Arkansas Aquatics. Mark, thanks so much for joining me on here. Before we get to your intro, though, we got to do some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm as ready as I can be. All right, let's do it. So first question, what is the top song on your playlist right now? Uh, That would have to be Animal by Goose, uh, strictly (laughs) because it's my daughter's favorite, and she requests it every time she gets in the car. Goose. What's a hidden talent you have that most people don't know about? I
1: can juggle.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. What career would you be doing if you were not a swim coach? I'd say either
1: a teacher or actual a broadcast announcer. That was oh, okay. my undergrad.
0: That's awesome. What was your best Halloween costume? That's a tough one. Um, I actually,
1: I was a computer one year and I, uh, <laughs> this is way before laptop. So I actually made a, I cut it out of a cardboard like box and created my own keyboard coming out from the cardboard box and <laughs> that was yeah that was
0: it oh man i'd love to hear the story behind that one uh what's your favorite swim meet memory too many to
1: uh count maybe i don't know uh, uh Either my first national championship uh, as a team or first national championship as a coach. Those are both two pretty special memories.
0: If you had to trust one Northwest Arkansas Aquatics staff member to take the game-winning shot in basketball, who would you pick? I'm going to go with a wild card on this one
1: and say – uh coach richard i think he would uh he would drain it all right
0: richard and on those lines northwest arkansas staff who would you choose if you needed to survive on a deserted island that
1: would definitely be eric payton he's uh (laughs) scrappy and resourceful and would find find food and figure out how to get through this
0: (laughs) and last one if you could meet any celebrity on the planet right now who would you meet i would have to go with michael jordan good choice awesome job with the rapid fire questions thanks for answering those so people get to know you outside of the (laughs) swimming world so um but mark i want you to just go ahead and um share a little bit of your background for everybody so they know where you're coming from your journey into the swimming world just a brief overview of uh of yourself uh well
1: first thank you very much for uh having me on the podcast it's uh definitely an honor and uh hopefully individuals can get as much out of this as uh i know i have in the previous one so um kind of have a wild journey um in my opinion um i got cut from basketball as a freshman in high school and did not have a sport to do after that and my uh Good friend uh, approached me and was like, hey, we only have seven guys on the swim team. Would you would you be willing to join the swim team? And I, you know, without a doubt, I was like, yeah, I can do that. And then I went home and my mom and dad absolutely laughed when I told them because they're like, you don't even know how to swim. Um, Because I never I mean, I had like some lessons and we had a pool in our backyard, but I didn't know the strokes to save my life. And I just told my mom and dad, I'm like, they said that it would teach me. And Mm -hmm. so sure enough, for like the first, like two weeks of practice, I wasn't doing practices. I was in one of the open lanes and one of the seniors was basically trying to help me learn the strokes. So it was a, I don't say like a humble, humble beginning, but uh, yeah, I just gradually, I fell in love with the sport and wanted to keep advancing. So
0: it's been a fun ride. And then... Talk about how far you ended up going in your personal swimming career. And then what led you into coaching? Um, uh, well, I guess, uh, I walked
1: on to, uh, Oakland university swim team. I didn't start swimming club until I was a junior after my junior year of high school. And from, uh, you a basically a calendar year, my club coach who also swam at Oakland university, Mark Vandermeer, um, I owe that man everything because uh, he basically took me from, I was like 25 flat start in the 53 free as a junior in high school. So there's hope for everybody. I uh, went <laughs> 21 and won uh, our, eight, our our LSC champs, um, like basically a calendar year after starting with club. Wow! And wow. so Mark immediately gave me Pete Hudlin's business card from Oakland and said, Hey, call him, tell him I told you to call him. And so I, picked up the phone, uh, called Pete and he's like, when can you be here? Like it was a, like, cause all I said was I followed Mark's instructions. I said, uh, Mark Vandermay told me to call you and his <laughs> ears peaked up Im- immediately. Um, went on an unofficial visit, walked on campus, saw national championship banners, runner up banners, saw all the all American plaques. And I, Absolutely wanted to attend Oakland University immediately after that. Um, Took about two weeks to convince my mom and dad that the investment was going to be worth it. And uh, yeah, went from basically walk on to a pretty hefty scholarship by the time I was a senior. um, I told my mom and dad this probably when I was like 30. But after I made nationals as a freshman and scored in all four individual events, Pete brought me into his office and he's like, I can give you a big raise right now. Or I can just give you eight hundred dollars and use the rest to recruit, so we can keep winning. <laughs> I immediately said, "I'll take the eight hundred, use the rest to keep for us to keep winning." That's um, then sophomore year, uh, same scenario, except I was on a national championship relay that year, and he's like, "I can give you a total of a thousand now." and keep recruiting or I can give you a big bump. And I was like, just give me the thousand. In my <laughs> mind, it was like, I walked on, I wasn't getting anything. So even <laughs> something was, was worth more than nothing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but yeah, it was, uh,
0: what'd your parents uh, say after you told them that story?
1: They were a little bit, a little upset, but <laughs> happy at the same time cause it cost them a pretty penny, but I did get my fifth year paid for. So awesome. that was a, really- a little bit of a reward. Um, but, yeah, the high, I mean, the highest level I ever swam at was U.S. Nationals in 98 um, in Minneapolis. Um, really cool experience and uh, one that I'll remember forever. I was actually in a heat with, uh, with like some D1 national champs in the, in the 103. <laughs> um, and I was actually 15. Or he was either 15 or 16. Anthony Irvin was next to me. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, let's <laughs> just say he beat me. So it's all good.
0: Um, <laughs> it was probably close, though uh probably <laughs> like
1: about a half second i think um that's not bad but no that was uh that was a lot of fun and uh i actually tried to make a run at trials in 2000 two years after college only trained for three months and missed it by like sixteen one hundred. so gotcha is what it is um but i was well immersed in coaching by then um and to get back to your second part of the question i think it was uh after my sophomore year of college um the older brother of one of my college teammates told me he needed assistance. Um, and it was at the Rockford Riptide in Rockford, Michigan. It was about 25, 30 minute drive from my mom and dad's house. But I basically coached there Monday through Friday. Um, Aaron just threw me into the fire and was like all these 10 and unders. He's like, teach them fly. And I'm like, I don't know how to teach them fly. And he's like, figure it out. So it was fun. And then, uh, it was, it was really inter- an interesting piece of this. It was like 2004 or 2005 Rockford High School won Michigan High School State for the first time in school history. And like all these kids that I had worked with in the summers, like in those back-to-back summers were on that team. So mm-hmm. it was kind of cool to see That's all awesome. these kids that I uh, coached when they were like, you know, 9, 10, 11 were ended up being on a, on a high school state championship team. So it was cool Good. to see.
0: That is really cool. I love the story too. I hope all the athletes watching hear how late Mark started swimming, how not fast he was when he started and then (laughs) how far he went in such a short period of time. So, you know, everybody's development happens at different times, um, and ended up being a national championship level swimmer, um, and on a full scholarship. That's pretty crazy story. I think a lot of times people think, Oh, it's too late for me, or Oh, I'm already a sophomore in high school or a junior when the recruiting's happening. Like I can't, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to get scholarships. I'm not going to get, um, you know, even really be that great of a swimmer in college. And I would say that's completely false. Like there's so much left to go after high school. Um, but, you know, because of the way that the recruiting process is set up. Sometimes people sell themselves short and just think, Oh, if I don't have it by my sophomore or junior year of high school, um, is there anything you would say to that? I'm sure you've encountered that Uh, as a coach now.
1: I'd say that the ball is always in their court. And I think that you would agree that if you want something bad enough, you focus on everything you need to, you work as hard as you can, you do what you can to recover and take care of yourself outside of the pool. And, to to our conversation yesterday, within all the coaches, you know, keep your mind right. Keep met the mental health aspect is is really booming right now, and it's important. If you take care of yourself in all those ways, you, the sky's the limit. So, yeah. um, I mean, we honestly encountered that with uh, with a sophomore, current sophomore at Alabama right now. I mean, he started swimming as a freshman in high school, and just it's it's so much fun to to see that. It's so much more fun actually to see it on this end. Cause you get to see so many more outside of just what you did. So,
0: yeah. 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 The coaching side of things. And that's something that's always been, um, a ton of fun for me is having the privilege of working with you and Northwest Arkansas aquatics, because, um, I've learned so much from you in our time, um, working together and your passion is contagious. If you're ever on a pool deck with Mark, you know, you're on the pool deck with him. <laughs> uh, it's got the most booming coaching voice you'll ever hear, but the, uh, such a deep passion for this sport and also something I've always admired is that you are always looking to learn, like super humble and that you're always having conversations with coaches, always trying to get better. You, you already did this on the podcast a couple minutes ago, always crediting other people for your success and for where you are in your journey and I've always admired that and tried to take after that in terms of just continuously be learning and always uh, be asking questions and... Um, one of the things that you have taught me and a lot of people in the swim strong program, about I'm sure outside the swim strong program, um, is race strategy. And that's really the main topic I want to dive into and pick your brain on. Cause I feel like coaches should, will get a ton out of this and get a lot of insight. Um, whether they know a lot about this subject or nothing at all, um, or somewhere in between, I think the amount of time you've spent, diving into this is probably different from most people. Um, And so going into this topic of race strategy as a coach, um, talk about how you developed a passion for that. When did you start thinking about race strategy? Was this like um, post-swimming career? Did you learn it while you were swimming and you started to gain that passion? Or what did it look like as far as uh, your mindset around that? Uh, I'd say it definitely began as a swimmer um mainly
1: because of error (laughs) and uh and basically failure to execute you uh pretty much are put in a situation where you need to learn from that in order to be successful and uh i mean i can even recall as a senior in high school prelims of the 100 free at high school state i flipped ahead of the guy that went 44 in in prelims and he went 43 and was state champ in finals I I was ahead of them at the feet at the first 25. I'm like, Woo-hoo. They beat me <laughs> by over 4 seconds, but I was ahead at 25. Um, and now I kind of kind of, you know, pick on the kids a little bit uh, that are in those those shoes or um but they you know they learn from it. And um I do recall uh it was 100 free at a at the mid-season meet my freshman year. I didn't do anything to change. You know, I didn't I didn't learn from that cuz no coach had talked to me about it. My high school coach, you know, basically was like, you got to go. Like, that's what he was telling me. He's like, you got to go. And so, I mean, in that race, I think I might've gone 48 going like 22 high to my feet. Like I died <laughs> and it hurt so bad, but I didn't know anything differently. And then, uh, it was like mid season meet my freshman year. You know, we do a little drop rest and shave and it did the exact same thing. Cause I didn't learn. And nobody really had talked to me about that leading up to that. And then I got out of the water. I walked over to Pete. And he was just like, what were you thinking? And I remember I told him, I'm like, oh, I felt so good that first 25. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, because I died in that one, too. And he goes, he was like, goal. Cool. Everyone feels good the first 25. And so then I started like, so then I got the wheels turning a little bit. And then I think I had the 200 back that same meet or something like that. And one of our assistant coaches, you know, cause I, he must've saw something in me. Uh, he just said, Hey, I'm going to give you the simplest 200 backstroke race strategy you will ever hear. And I was like, okay. At that point, I'm like, I'm willing to give it a try. And he was like, he's like, just steady support kick the first 50. And he's like, kick hard off your walls to get up to speed. The second 50, he was like, build your legs, the third 50. And then the last 50 kick as hard as you can. And so I remember trying that and I think I like dead, even split the 200 back and went my best time by like seven seconds. That's crazy. And so I was like, I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, and then, and then I do have to credit, uh, James Collins. Um, uh, one of my teammates, uh, he was, like, a higher seed in the 200 free my sophomore year at Nationals. Because to me, the 200s are the hardest. Like, it's a, it's basically a sprint. And, like, you can't go slow. Like, there's never – like, when I tell kids not to go out, like, too fast or overwork their legs or do this, like, I'm never telling them, like, go slow. Like, there's mm-hmm. never – I mean, the only event that I tell kids to not try at all on the first 25 is the mile or the 1,000. <laughs>
0: like,
1: you know, they're doing 40 lengths or 66 lengths. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to try the first 25. Like (laughs) it's always comical when you see somebody dive in in a mile or a thousand and sprint, like, (laughs) like you're going to feel that. Um, But no, it's like James at nationals, my sophomore year, like we were in a, we were going to be in a battle. And so every point mattered. And I was seated outside of the top 16 with my best time. And I needed to get top 16 to get team points. So James literally told me, he's like, stay on my hip. I will pace you where you need to be at the 150. And then it's, I'm just gonna just drop the hammer and make top eight. And you gotta fight for your life to get top 16. And he told <laughs> me that before. Yeah. And so, like, I had no idea of what I was doing with my like like physically to do it. I just mm-hmm. followed his instruction mm-hmm. of staying on his hip. And I ended up getting fifteenth in prelims. He got top eight. Like it was like a, it was like a plan worked. That's awesome. And and I ended up looking at my splits, and I was like, oh my gosh, I had no more than a second and a half difference from my first to my last fifty there. Like he he set me up perfectly. And so like that continued to get like as a sophomore college. So then I, every race that I ever did from like that moment on, I went into it with. I'm going to manage my F my energy as much as I possibly can to swim as fast as I can. And yeah. and the yeah, there are times that it worked, there are times that it didn't. But and that's what I want every swimmer that I coach. I want everyone to go into a race with a plan and then try to execute the plan. And it's and kids conceptualize it differently. Like I try to give them the basis and then they may think about it in what they think is gonna work. And then mm-hmm. they try to execute what they tell me. And like all things, like sometimes it works to the T and sometimes it doesn't. And we learn (laughs) from it and we try to adjust it the next time. Yeah. And and I mean, I've had races in that where I've coached that I literally like a mile where I never once ever had to like signal because they, they executed like a perfect race and those Mm. are very rare and those are cherished and, (laughs) and and it's so much fun to watch. Like, I remember a girl broke a school record in the 1650 of a girl. She idolized like that girl was a senior when she was a freshman and she, her best time was like 45 seconds slower than that time. And then like another three years, she broke that record. And if you put the ghost splits next to that, like she would have been over a 25 behind at halfway and she would have ran her down and beat her. And that, that would have been fun to watch, but, oh yeah. (laughs) uh, But yeah, I mean, don't, don't get like, I guess to that, like I am passionate about race strategy because it meant something to me as a swimmer and it helped me as a swimmer. Mm -hmm. And to me as coaches, it's our responsibility to do everything we can to help our athletes be successful. Yeah. Obviously in the pool, but and beyond, but I think that the level of focus That goes into executing it because it's not just the day of like you can give, you can give any swimmer the the right race strategy if they don't have the training behind it, that, that basically mirrors it or reflects it Mm -hmm. like it's not going to happen. Yeah. And so like I try to tell our kids all the time, like we train the way we race and we race the way we train. Like we're always negative splitting stuff. We're always descending stuff. We're never flying and dying in practice. <laughs> and so we're not gonna fly and die in a race. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, yeah, a hundred, you gotta take it out, but there is some level of control even in a hundred like that yep. people don't realize. Yeah. And, and even in a 50 free long course, like if you're not going 21, 22, you got to build the first 10 if you don't build the first 10 to 15 you're gonna die and i experienced that like i felt that when i i felt that prior to going to college Mm -hmm. and then i remember on training trip we were at winter training trip in fort lauderdale my junior year and we were in a quad meet like with some pretty big time schools like this is our d2 days and there we were going against a couple d1 schools and one of my teammates swam at usc and transferred in he was the one that came up to me he goes "Goal! like we're tired we're in season like you have to build like build the first 15 meters of this race and then once you hit 15 meters then shift into the 100 overdrive as fast as you can and we ended up going one two rafi was in lane five i was in lane one and i went my lifetime best during the middle of winter training awesome. so like that was that was so much fun but and, it, and it's just like that the more you think about it and try to execute it's it works
0: Yeah. I like what you said, how as coaches, it's our job to set our kids up to be as successful as they can be. And so not just training them hard, but helping them to execute a race strategy is so important. And if we don't give them those tools, they're not going to be successful. I can't tell you, and I'm sure you've seen this many, many times as both a college coach and a club coach. People come on to um, a team that I'm a part of from a different team and we see them at their first, you know, big meet and they are so amped up and they just sprint the first 25, first 50, of it, and then they die hard. And even this is a conversation I had with a couple athletes um, in that scenario just a couple months ago. Like, hey, so here's what your splits were. Uh, You had a seven-second difference between – first 50 and second 50 of a hundred fly long course like have you ever (laughs) thought about um you know taking it out slower and you know coming back stronger have you ever thought about race strategy and the answer from both the people that I was talking to was what are you talking about and I was like (laughs) how have you trained swimming since you were a young kid and all the way up to now 15, 16 years old, and no coach has ever talked to you about race strategy. I mean, that blew my mind. It's like, that's like 101, right? You would think like swimming 101 is race strategy. And I think we don't realize how, and maybe it's because their coaches didn't know anything about race strategy. Um, And that's, it's okay if you don't know what you don't know, but it's not okay to not learn. Right. And once you learn something, then you like dive into that. Um, or maybe just an over-focus on like training hard, but not realizing how important um, strategy and thinking is in your racing. So um, how do you find a balance between that? Like, Hey, we're training hard, but we're also thinking like we're going to be intentional about our training and kind of just day to day when you're, when you're coaching that, what does that look like to get the most out of both sides of that?
1: Well, number one, that's a, an ongoing <laughs> process <laughs> to get them to think and focus on details and whatnot. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, like even if we're doing like say 200, like 50 is 200 pace. And, and for simple math, we can just say 24 flat. Like, let's just say like you have a group of boys that ultimately need to try to hold 24 flat, or 20, say 24, five. So we're going to try to go 24 O's to our hand. And that's the other thing, like race strategy, like I'm a numbers geek. Um, I, I didn't say this in the, and I'm thinking about your question earlier. Like I originally went to school to be an engineer. Um, and I'm not going to lie, like swimming, like just, I don't want to say it took over. It, it basically did. Like I had <laughs> no idea that like of all the things that, you know, revolved around the sport of swimming, like, or, or just were components of the sport of swimming. And like, sometimes during dry land, like, I guess even right when, when I got to to Northwest Arkansas aquatics, like every now and then I would just all of a sudden stop everybody and be like, do you want me to tell you about one of the things I love about the sport of swimming? And then I'd say like, just whatever X. And then like two weeks would go by, I would say Y. And then I would go to W. And I like, there's so many things. And so there's so many little aspects and details that go into sports swimming. It's, it's fascinating to me. And, and the race strategy is like it's energy management, but it's revolved around the numbers. It's revolved around the splits. Cause like, that's what I love about like meat mobile. Like nowadays, it's like you mm-hmm. see them instantly yep. and, and you can, and you can dissect a race without even watching it. Like, I mean, obviously, like an IM, like the splits are going to vary, like a 200 IM are going to vary based on each athlete's ability to sure. to do each stroke. But if you're looking at strictly a 200 fly or a 200 back, 200 bras, 200 free, like you can analyze the race from your couch looking at Meet Mobile without even mm. watching it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what it looked like um, or chances are what it looked like. And so to go back to like the whole training, the way you race and racing, the way you train, and say the goal is to for the second and third 50 of a 200 free to be 24.5, that's going 24.0 to your hand because it's roughly a half a second difference from finishing the wall to the wall with your hand and finishing to your feet. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is to go 24.0. Well, if you really dive into the numbers, it's that 24.0 in practice should be like 12.2 to the feet, 11.8 to the hand, give or take a few hundredths. And so if you're, if you're watching practice and you have this group of boys going 24 0 but they're going 11 0 13 0 that's actually pacing. Cause you take the 0.5 on top of it.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's 13.5 technically on the second. They're actually pacing 27 0 50 freeze. Mm-hmm. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not going to get anything out of that. And so it's, it's 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 even our job to be mm. even more in tune with how they're pacing it. Mm. And so what I talk to them about, or I try to cue them on is work harder on the second 25. Like on any time we're doing fifties that are fast, I always say work harder on the second 25. If we're doing hundreds that are supposed to be second hundred of 200, I tell them to work harder every 25 because you physically have to work harder every 25 to maintain your speed. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the whole premise behind race strategy. It's managing your energy and your effort because if you're behind the blocks and to your point of those kids that dive in and go all out the first 25, like, and I tell them this jokingly, like adrenaline is flowing in your body. <laughs> yeah. And if you even give into that adrenaline, like even 10% more than you're going to, adrenaline will force you to go like 90% more. Like you're, you end up over swimming the first 25 so much that it completely takes away from, you know, the last 75 of the race. And and I stress and emphasize on 200s, like short course, it's a little different long course. Um, but like at the 75, If a kid goes out too fast, 75 into the race is when there's a visible decrease in their stroke, like their tempo and their Mm -hmm. legs. Like you can start to see it at 75. And so we always stress and emphasize like start racing at 75, Hmm. like build the first 75, like and then start to race. Because when you're going to start to race is when they're starting to slow down and chances are you're going to be catching them within the next 75 and then blowing by them the last 50 and they can't mm-hmm. do anything about it. Yep. Um, Coach Eric, if you talk to him sometimes about race strategy, um, he always uh, kind of talked about when he was in, in high school and college about racing the distance races. was like, anytime he saw somebody go out, he'd be like, I'll see you in 250 yards. <laughs> but, like his, he kind of like joked about that. Even, even last night in practice, like, that's awesome it's you know you you wanna you want properly pace yourself like I mean every every like I don't wanna say everybody like not everybody runs but like you think about it in terms of like running a 5k or running a half marathon like you mm-hmm. don't just sprint right away <laughs> or you're gonna be hurting yep and it, and it's the same thing with everything but uh obviously like a hundred you gotta go like I said earlier like there's it- and it varies. It varies per stroke. It it varies on everything.
0: Yeah, and I want to dive into that a little bit too, just so people can get an idea. Even diving deeper into your brain on like a specific of a race, um, probably dive into a two hundred free in a second because you mentioned two hundreds a lot. Um, but just so everybody watching this knows, like Coach Mark has been someone that I'll send splits to people throughout the program. Be like, hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> Somebody that. Uh, that I just like, I really love getting his analysis because he's looking so in depth at the splits and where can they improve what part of the race you mentioned, like you can look at Meet mobile and analyze a race from your couch. And I've tried to get a lot better at doing that as well. So that from the dryland perspective too, we can coach and see where, what's, what's lacking, which part of your race can we improve on? Why? Um, and, um, coaching the kids on energy systems in dry land, just like we coach them on that in the water, and, um, you know, I remember specifically when I first started working with you, I think about four years ago, three and a half, four years ago. Um, is that right? Three and a half, that's four years about three, three ago. Three and yeah. a half. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's our first conversation
1: was about three and a half years ago.
0: <laughs> that's crazy. Um, time flies, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, it just blew my mind for a second. Um, I remember, like, in that first season, having um, someone in the program swim a really great race, like a really great overall time, and I was excited. And I remember sending you the splits, and you're like, "Hey, do you realize like how poor of a race that was uh, compared to where they could be?" And I was like, not looking at it. The same. I was excited about the end time, just like caught up in the moment, and you were like hey that's awesome but like look at how much better it could be if this this and this and that's when i really started to get like addicted to it like you really pushed me in that direction and made me um a lot better thinking wise in that which i have always appreciated and um and so anyway it just like was something that um You know, and I think about the dry side of things more than the the in-the-water things, but I still love analyzing the the in-the-water things and how can we take the the in-the-water thing, help them with the things that they're trying to improve on in the water with dry land. What are things that we can do to make things more efficient, more effective in the water? And so, anyway, this is just one of those things that I've been really uh, in love with since you talked about it, and I love numbers and math and statistics too. Um, And it's just, it's changed the game um, in terms of Even my analysis of people's races instead of like, oh, that that time was really good. You just dropped three seconds from your best time or you just made this cut or set a record or whatever. It's like, okay, but what? Let's look at the let's look at the splits. Let's see what we could have done better. Let's see where we could be without any. To me, it's exciting because without any extra training, if you just swam this race a little bit differently, you're actually a lot faster than that drop you just had. If you just swam a little bit smarter. And so that's the way, a big way in which you've influenced my thinking and, um, you know, a lot of athletes obviously on your team and in our program as a whole, just something that I love about, um, you know, plug for the whole program. People want to help each other and see each other be successful throughout the swim strong program. And, uh, something that I absolutely love about, um, our group, but I want to talk specifically about that, um, and dive into like I said the 200 freestyle. So just so coaches can get like a specific example of if you're trying to swim, let's just say for easy math, I think this will be easy math. If you're trying to break 140 for the first time as a, a male 200 free swimmer, uh, so you know you talk about if average 25 flat for 450s that would get you to 140 right so for easy math and you can go from there what are you looking at what's the perfect race in Mark Gold's mind of a 200 free if you're trying to go 139 99 for the first time what's a perfect race how would you break it down and why
1: okay um number 1 i do distinctly remember the uh, race that you're talking about <laughs> uh won't, won't name any names but i will say that this individual might be one of the most talented kids i've ever seen in the water <laughs> um but yeah it was a 139 first time ever under 140 and it was like 46 53 mm-hmm. so to me that hurts really 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 bad um <laughs> one analogy we always joke around about it when a when a when the splits are going up that much is uh like a piano is falling out of the ceiling and landing <laughs> on the back in the last 50. um because he probably had no legs mm-hmm. on the end mm-hmm. and so his tempo slowed um because the way i think about it is like when i ran i ran cross country growing up too in in high school and our coach always talked about how to get your legs to to spin fat, like to turn it over faster, you pump your arms more. And so I view it as the legs are that to your arms and swimming, the, mm. the faster your foot speed is, the higher you can, you can turn your, your stroke rate over. Um, so from an energy management standpoint, like obviously we talked about the adrenaline behind the blocks, like you don't have to go hard the first 25, you will be fast. Adrenaline will take you out. So your stroke rate should be the slowest on the very first 25 Mm -hmm. Um, and your kick should be the least on the first 25. And then when you flip, you got to start working harder on that second 25. Um, I remember the 200 free was specific to my race strategy presentation at the elite camp a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking the, this question. And all the athletes went through every 25 except for the right answer. Or in in my mind, what the right answer is. is. And obviously, everybody conceptualizes each race different. But I asked all the athletes. I think there were 40 of them. I said, what is the most important 25 in a 200 freestyle? And they were all like, the last, the first, the fourth, the fifth. And I just kept saying, no, no, no. And then they, by process of elimination, we landed on the second. <laughs> and the reason why, in my mind, the second 25 is the most critical and important 25 in that race is whatever you go on the second 25, it sets up the second 50. And so in order to maintain your speed, the second 25 should be no slower than a second and a half than your first 25. Okay. And if it's greater than a second and a half, then your second 50 is going to balloon up And you're going to go too slow on the second 50, no matter how fast you come home, you're not as fast as you could have been. And the reason why I have the number 1.5 in my head and this, I will give 100% credit to one of my mentor coaches of Jeff Cooper at the Oakland live wires. I mean, that guy's a a mad scientist in his own right. Um, I learned so much from Jeff working with him for almost an eight year span. And he was the one that taught me about the 1.5. Cause if you went an all out 25 from a push to your feet and did an all out 25 from a dive to your feet on average, it's 1.5. And so you don't want to be slower than that 1.5 because that means you're slowing down, you're decelerating in a race and we don't ever want to decelerate in a race, no matter how long it is. Hmm. Um, I know Katie Ledecky is, coined the phrase all races are sprints some are just longer than others (laughs) so um and and in that regard like if you watch even her race like you can see it when she over swims the front end like she doesn't shift gears on the back end um and and i know she's getting back to swimming the way that she used to and that's exciting because she's been kind of rounding the corner and putting some times on the board again um so I guess I'll talk you through like what I would say strategy wise first, and then I'll try to do the math in my head. I'll, I, it'll be a rough <laughs> rough estimate, but we would always talk about first 25, complete easy speed, stretch out your stroke. Um, and we always talk about accelerating ever so slightly into every turn, no matter what, because the more speed you carry into the turn, in my mind, the more speed you carry out. Like mm-hmm. if you go into a turn slow, you're gonna come out of the turn slow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that we really emphasize. Um, so just kind of accelerate into that turn a little bit with those last couple strokes to set up the second 25, the second 25, you obviously have to start building the legs ever so slightly. Try to increase your tempo at when, like when I say ever so slightly, I mean like minimal, like we, I use the old school strokes per minute tempo. I know some people do strokes per second Um, I can try to convert the strokes per second in my head when somebody does say it. Um, but like a 200 free in my mind, like an ideal stroke rate going out would probably be like 40, 40 per minute. Um, and then that second 25, if they were 40, that should be like 40 and a half. Like Mm -hmm. that's how, (laughs) that's how minimal the stroke rate should increase. Um, and then again, you know, accelerate a little bit going into the 50, And then at the 50, just try to maintain, like, it's, it's, I tell, I tell them all the time, build into the start end, like from wherever you're at, build into the start end, and then try to maintain it on the going towards the turn end. Um, Because we want to be swimming the same speed for roughly the first hundred or first 75. But then when you hit the 75, I mentioned this earlier, you want to, that's when the race starts. Like in your mind, that's when the race should start. And so you have to start putting in a little bit more work to to have that momentum going into the second half of the race. And so when then when they flip at the hundred, that's in my mind when you really need to start engaging your legs because you've gone out with your arms. You've you've been strong through the hundred. And for simple and simplistic terms, I tell the younger swimmers go 85, 90, 95, 100 with the legs, the, the remaining 425s. Like, so they have a a percentage they can use in their mind and some kids can kick harder earlier than others. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's the, the simple simplicity of it. And by kicking 85, 90, 95, hundred, their stroke rate will continue to raise up just proportionally. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that I've seen even just in, in watching my college teammates do a 200, um, I wasn't, I never made the A. Well, no, I can't say that. I did make the A final as a junior, but when I was a freshman, and sophomore, I would just watch my teammates. Like I would swim and then go over to the side and cheer, cheer them on and watch how they were doing things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to learn, like, you know how you say, like you learn from every race you do. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a team, like a swimmer, I would try to learn from every single race I was watching. Mm-hmm. And I was a, I was a geek, like swim nerd. I, Back in the day of VHS tapes, I would record D1 Nationals off of TV. <laughs> and I would watch them on repeat. Like I would get home from wow. school every day. I'd have an hour and a half, two hours before I would go to school. I'd watch D1 Nationals and I would watch it over and over and over. And I'd pick a different swimmer in a different lane and watch their <laughs> splits. Um, back in the day, Swimming World Magazine did this and it was amazing. And I'm so bummed that they stopped doing it. I like want to reach out to whoever their editor in chief is. If you have any connections by all means (laughs) or a swim swim, whoever, whatever swimming publication out there, they literally would show the top eight of every single event at D one nationals. And they called it comparative splits. They -hmm. would rank the swimmers first place down to eighth. They'd show the 50, 100, one 150, 200. They'd show every splits. They bolded who had the lead at in the race at that point that's cool and very very rare did somebody have the first second third 50 in the lead like leon marchand is probably changing that a little bit um (laughs) different animal by all means um but even when you watch like phelps swim 100 fly i don't think he was ever in the lead in the first 50 of 100 fly when he won a goal um aaron Pearsall 100 back very rarely in the lead at the first 50 of 100 back in the Olympics when he won gold, and even broke the world record. I don't think he had the lead when he did that. Um, so what does that tell you? That tells you that it's about maintaining your speed, not how fast can you be at the 50? Mm-hmm. Um, this may be a contradictory opinion or a hot take, but I don't think Phelps wins the 100 fly if, if Michael Kavik actually slammed a smart race. <laughs> I mean, the guy had him insanely powerful butterfly his technique was incredible and he flied and died mm-hmm. um people blame him uh sorry people blame his finish well his finish was a result of how hard he went in the first 25 hmm. and so that's that's the way i break all those down but yeah. numbers wise to get back to that um in my mind you can't be out any faster than twenty-three-five. okay If you're going out faster than 23.5, that means your second 50, I mean, if you go out in 23.0, your second 50 should be 24.5, and then if your second 50 is 24.5, your third 50 should be 24.5, your last Uh 50 should be maybe 24 low. I mean, that's going 137, going out in (laughs)
0: 23.0.
1: And and honestly, those splits right there are almost to the T what one of my former swimmers did at Winter Juniors when he won the console heat. Uh, back in the fall of 2019, mm-hmm. um, and he, with his permission, those were the splits that I used um, at the elite camp. Mm-hmm. Um, what's awesome now is he goes 133 at Auburn, so <laughs> um, still still swimming it smart to some extent. But I know his coaches are trying to get him to go out harder. But when he does go out harder, he doesn't finish. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wish more coaches thought about that because sometimes they'll be like, "Well, you're not going out fast enough." I'm like. Mm-hmm. no matter how fast you go out there's gonna you're there's gonna be a take away at the end like if you give up energy on the front end you're gonna take away from energy on the back end
0: yeah would you say with the 200 that you so you just mentioned like that was a 137 so if we're trying to break 140 based off the splits you said would you say 240, 255, 255, 250 25 25 like low that's under that's under 25 well, low, yeah
1: no, that's over. That's one forty point low because it's twenty four plus a twenty five, and your twenty five five and twenty five five in the middle is fifty one. So fifty one plus forty nine low is one forty points. So you, if you're swimming an ideal race, you're probably going to be around twenty three eight, twenty three nine, going okay. out to sneak under if you really manage your energy and Let's your see. effort flawlessly.
0: Okay, gotcha. So like twenty three eight, twenty three nine, and then twenty five four. Yeah, twenty five three put you under. Same thing, twenty five four, twenty five three, and then twenty five flat. Maybe coming home on the last yeah. fifty, and you're under one forty. Yeah. So, I think that's interesting um, and really important for people to know because I think when people are trying to break barriers like that, and ah, I don't know, man. And I was t- <laughs> I texted you almost every year during like big big time championship meets, but I-, I was watching like NCAA's and conference championships, and I saw like three people who swam a smart two hundred. I saw that's like so hard. You go so hard, and I'm seeing people go like it's like yeah, you're going 133, 134, 132. Some people, I'm like, you could go 129 if you just swam a little bit smarter. And I um, wonder how much of that is pre-workout. I'm not going (laughs) to (laughs) lie. Oh man, that's a subject uh, I'm I'm learning from all
1: our kids that go to college. They're like encouraged to take scoops of pre-workout before they race, and that's going to spike their heart rate. (laughs) They're gonna, they're gonna just
0: they're going to feel like they're going to swim through a brick
1: wall. Like, I, I don't know.
0: Oh man. I, that that would be a good case study because that's actually there you go. that Brittany is, we we actually have something, a little uh, social media clip coming out sometime in the next couple of weeks about um, how it doesn't do at all what you think it does for you. But, um, but anyway, that's another story, but even just looking at the, looking at the splits at like some of the highest levels, you're like, man, I don't know if it's just that they get so amped up and they forget their strategy. Or if like people think, Oh, I got to just go out. I got to just drop dead sprint and hang on to get my best time or whatever it is. But like, that's not how you swim your best race. And it's not, I know some people have the opinion of like just fly and die or just like sprint and and see what you can see what you can do, and and that's fine. Um, But I don't think the science supports that, right? And you even look at people who have world records, like David Popovich, right, who has the 100 100 freestyle. That's a sprint event. Everybody would say a 100 freestyle. You're just gunning it. David Popovich swam one of the slowest front 50s for Mm -hmm. someone who's ever gone to 46 in history. I'm sure it's the slowest of anyone who's ever swam 46. And and there's only a handful of people who have done that. And I mean, his splits were so beautiful. And I was like, that was such a smart race. And he got the world record.
1: (laughs) I also think he has the aerobic background to be
0: able to do that. Mm -hmm.
1: So let's say you,
0: oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, let's say you have the training. So you have, obviously he, so let's say you check all the boxes you've trained. Obviously you can't execute that strategy if you don't have the training. And you said that earlier, which I think is really important for people to know. It's like, okay. This race strategy thing is great, um, for sure, but it's not magic. You can't go fast if you don't train hard. <laughs> so, like, let's not, let's not get that twisted. That's not at all what's being said for sure. So let's say you check all the boxes if you've done all the things right. Um, training in the pool, um, training with dry land, taking care of yourself outside the pool, all those things you've checked the boxes. Now it's just time to execute a race. What's the the science behind like for someone who would be like, Well, my swimmers winning like doing fly and die, like because you have people who are really talented, who will still beat people who execute a good race strategy Mm -hmm. if they just go out and die. Um, What would you say to them specifically from like the scientific standpoint? Why are they missing out on their potential? And like what would be your counter to someone who says, well, look how fast they are when they just sprint? Well, I mean, obviously outside
1: of the, uh, if they manage their energy and effort, they'd go faster, but, (laughs) um, I mean, to me, like the science behind the strategy is like the whole lactate production, like lactate clearance. Um, like you gotta be for 200s, you gotta have the aerobic fitness level to, to be able, like they said that Michael Phelps, when they tested his blood lactate after races, it would it would it would drop to almost zero within a matter of minutes. And like that just That's crazy. That blows my mind. And they said that it was like he was such an aerobically efficient machine. And it's like Leon Marchand is kind of becoming that type type athlete. is that they're almost clearing the blood, the lactate from their blood as they're producing it. It's like they're almost using it as fuel. Um, I mean, the other day, like in a college dual mate, didn't Marchand go 139 in the the two fly and then minutes later go 139 and the 200 back it's like yeah. <laughs> you, you don't do that just by you know doing whatever like race pace every now and then it's like those guys <laughs> are, are models of consistency and and they're so aerobically fit um but like the more aerobically fit you are like the faster you can take your races out because your threshold is going to be higher like you're not going to be at the point producing lactate on the front end of those races and so I would I would just encourage them to to try to get their kids to be more consistent with practice and and all the and training every energy system to be able to execute that because um, mm-hmm. the kids that just go fast and want to go fast all the time like yeah they're going to be able to go fast going out mm-hmm. um, and I and I don't mean to bring this one up but it's like the same as Michael Andrew in the two hundred IM in the Olympics like yeah he can go out fast but can he close by going out fast like the answer that we will that we saw at both trials and the olympics was no um is that going to change i don't know it's uh we we, we shall wait and see
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think it's interesting just even from and brian um mcpherson our programming director does a great job with talking about energy systems too and educating around that even from a dryland perspective but in the sport of swimming you are using all of your different energy systems in every race like make no mistake even in a 50 freestyle short course your aerobic system is working the percent like the percentages (laughs) change right from race to race obviously but it's still working and technically it depends on the person so you know you got your um (laughs) sports science geeks out there who'll be like this is." Uh, you know, we'll debate exactly the amount of seconds that you can sprint for, but I can tell you that nobody's sp- able to technically sprint for an entire 50. Um, even if you're going 17, like Caleb Dressel, your phosphogen system, your actual ability to all out sprint doesn't go typically beyond like 10 to 12 seconds. You can push that a little further with training. It might be a little less, might be a little more for some people, I don't know, maybe you could push it all the way to 17. I'm not not sure every human is different. I've never questioned the limits of what humans are capable of, but there is a limit and it's a very, very small threshold. So when you're like drop dead sprinting, um, you know, beyond the last 50 or last 35 of a of a race, you're not actually drop dead sprinting, right? Like you can't. It's not possible. So you start tapping into different systems that you've trained, like you mentioned, whether anaerobic. Um, or aerobic and the different percentages that they kick in at different points in the races. And if you manage them properly, then you're going to get the most out of your race. Absolutely. Because your stroke technique will stay together and you'll actually be able to, um, if you manage your energy systems right, you're going to be able to get the most out of each of those moments where your stroke technique is. And it just, it works together. So I think the science supports what you're saying. It's a part of like training smart, not just training hard. Um, but also you can see it, right. And you can see the potential in people. And so I think, yeah, it does drive me crazy when I see the potential of some of the top level swimmers, um, who, who just aren't executing that or don't know about that. And, um, so, but I think if, if kids can learn it from a young age and have that ingrained in them, um, as a part of just what they do, man, they're going to get so good at it. Cause it's not something you just. Like you said, it's not something you just get from the start. Like you have to practice it. It's not gonna work every time you do it. And you're gonna fail. And sometimes your second fifty is gonna look way different from what you want it to look like. And you have to trial and error and learn how to know your body. And where you were talking about there's sometimes where rare where someone swims a mile and you don't even have to signal them. Like if we can get kids to that point where they really understand which systems they're tapping into and how they should be swimming at different points in the race man, like that, that's, that's someone who's going to be much closer to reaching their full potential um, than anyone else, in my opinion. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Agree, disagree with any of those? No, no,
1: I agree. And like, um, I guess an area or an aspect of a different sport that you can take or a different sport that you can use to compare and contrast is track and field. Um, Mm -hmm. The hundred meter or the 110 meter hurdles or whatever it is like they're they're up and all out like that's pure speed pure power but then when you watch a 200 on the track which in my mind track like running and swimming is like a fourth like so the 200 in track is like the 50 in swimming from a time comparison and like when you saw like like i'm old enough to remember michael johnson uh when he you know obviously everybody has usain bolt but even like both of those two guys like they weren't all out the first like five or six strides they were like setting their stride up and then all of a sudden then you saw them hit top speed Mm -hmm. and so it's the same thing and it's similar in the 50 and the swimming the only the only thing that uh takes away from that is the greater the greatest your velocity ever is in a race is on the dive and so that almost assists swimmers to get to speed without having to work Yeah, because like you don't throw your dolphin kicks in the second you enter the water like you're going and then you're engaging them. So there is that that small period where obviously when Dressel went 17, he's (laughs) is I mean, his start is freaking amazing. And then obviously his underwaters are as well. So that allowed him to just, you know,
0: crank the rest of that race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great point. And. Um, we'll wrap up here. Honestly, I could talk about this with you all day. Um, Same. but we'll wrap it up with kind of one, one, one more thing that I think is just really funny and that I want people to remember, like, so I'll talk to athletes all the time about like, I'll ask them this question if they go out, you know, are just like hammering at the beginning of dry land sets or swim sets. Like, Hey, when do you, when do you win a race in the beginning or then? And <laughs> obviously the answer's at the end and i think that's so uh it's a funny question but it reminds them of like hey there's a strategy to everything we're doing too like let's you let's use our brain let's work really hard and outwork everyone make no mistake about it but let's use our brains as well but you have something that you terms that you use for people in swim meets uh for people who are like winning the first 25 or winning the first 50 um that's stuck with me we'll see if it comes right to your mind but the term that you use that's always stuck and then i started Stealing uh of what you share with your athletes um can you share that just for any coach who might Uh, might
1: if i'm if i'm remembering this correctly don't be a pretender be a contender that's exactly what it was like if you if you're in the lead at the 25 and you have no no way of winning that race you just pretended to be good (laughs) like and i and i was i was that kid you know what i mean like i i literally didn't know what i was doing i was diving in going as hard as i could um, but I'll leave I'll leave everybody with a little a little movie that you can actually learn race strategy from, or at least conceptualize it. is a uh, is one of my favorite sports movies. It's called Without Limits. It's a story of Steve Prefontaine, and it has uh, Bill Bowerman, the old Oregon track coach who founded okay. Nike. And Prefontaine front ended everything. Like he a 5K, he would just start sprinting right from the start, and he's like. He's like running any other way is just plain, and says a <laughs> phrase because he didn't want to win unless he knew he went as hard as he could. Mm-hmm. And his coach was like, finally, like, "Hey, trials are coming up. Like, the only way you're going to make the team is if you beat this guy." And he's like, "Well, how do I do that?" And Bill Bowerman literally had the splits written up on a on an envelope, like mile splits, and then, and I won't, I won't give the rest of the way, but it's it's yeah. uh. Like that it, that man. movie was out like in the late '90s, and we used to watch that on repeat <laughs> and learn, <laughs> learn from a, a movie about track and field to That's to apply awesome. it to to swimming.
0: I can attest to that. That movie is phenomenal. It was suggested by Mark to me long ago and (laughs) I watched it and I loved it. Um, So, well, anyway, we can stop there, but coach Mark, thanks so much for taking the time, man. It's an absolute privilege and joy to get to work with you and your whole staff and your athletes with Northwest Arkansas Aquatics. Thanks for sharing your information and knowledge with coaches and athletes around the country. Um, I have no doubt it'll impact people. So thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Uh, It was my pleasure, and uh, thank you for
0: having me. Thank you
1: for everything that you do. Yes,
0: sir. Thank you for listening to the Swim Strong Dryland podcast. If you'd like to be a part of the Swim Strong Dryland family, you can reach out to us via email or social media. You can also follow Swim Strong Dryland on YouTube and TikTok for more educational content.